0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law.
1: Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin FC's 4-3 come-from-behind win against Sporting Kansas City. We'll preview the upcoming Minnesota United match, and we'll cover any other Austin FC news that we can find. My name is Landon Cottom, and I am joined by the birthday boy, Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and there is no better way to celebrate your birthday than
0: 20,738 of your closest friends at Q2 Stadium, especially
1: when the outcome is a game like uh, the one on Saturday night. What a day. So I met up with you at uh, Turnstile before the game. You're with your your eldest son, Jackson, and he had a very specific job throughout the day. And it was to make sure that you didn't lose your phone. <laughs> yes. Make,
0: specifically to make sure I didn't leave my phone in the Uber because I did that, um, in Boston at Boston Logan airport on the way out. And it was like the most traumatic two days of my life waiting on that phone to come back. So I'm happy to say the phone made it back to the house all in one piece. He did, he did his job, but he did. Um, you know, the deal was he was not supposed to like ask me if I had it yes or no, but then to demand proof by like having me pull the phone out. <laughs> And he did that every time, so he he did his job. We had a good time. He had a good time. During the game, like people just kept coming up with beers, which was awesome, um, <laughs> and fun. But at some point, the person behind me is like, "Can I go get you a beer?" It's like, "No, get me a get me a water." Like I can really please go, no, please <laughs> no. It's like Aquafina, which you know, Aquafina at Q two Stadium price is basically like a beer anywhere else. So I still felt like they were doing me a favor by getting me a five dollar water or whatever. So that that was what I ended up doing in the second half, and then. We went to Hop, hop Squad and, and um, had an Italian Pills and then a group of the Los Verdes folks around there saying happy birthday to me as we went to the Uber, um, got home and tucked ourselves into bed, very happy and satisfied about the whole day.
1: That's, that's one of the perks of having several hundred of your closest friends sitting in the section right, nec- right next to you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So what a day. I would encourage
0: everybody, if you have a chance to have an amazing game on your birthday, you know, make sure the team takes care of you.
1: All right, let's jump into some Austin FC news. So Emiliano Rigoni is still not in town, but we think we maybe have a few more clues as to when he's going to get here. So Claudio Reina said in the uh, pre-match show, he was on the, the pre-match TV broadcast with Adrian Healy and, and Michael Hood, and said that he's hoping that they'll have his visa stuff finalized this week and have him in in town this week so that's that's extremely um extremely encouraging i think that is too because this is probably the first time he's said anything about a
0: timeline is that right so i feel like he has to feel pretty good about it being at least relatively close in order to announce that because we we haven't heard anything out of them officially about it i don't think
1: yeah because um i had we have a, a listener named kyle who sent me some info and he said that Uh, He works in business immigration and doesn't have uh, experience with this specific visa, but kind of gave some context to what those rules were. And so when I was saying that I'd read that it was within 15 days, what Kyle told me was, okay, within 15 days, you'll get an answer either approved or we need some more info. And then once you provide that extra info, then they have another 15 days to approve or deny. And so we're looking at potentially up to a month of of paperwork, or just like kind of waiting for stuff to go through. And so after I got that message, I was a little bit concerned. But to hear Claudio say, and like Claudio's one not to really say anything unless he he means it, right? So um, that's that's really encouraging. I'm I'm glad to hear that that he's thinking he might get in here soon, and and hopefully that's the case. So when do you think you might we might first
0: see him in any kind of action at all let's say he gets in friday obviously obviously not la yeah obviously not lafc but do you i mean not minnesota but like do you see him in la against yeah
1: i mean definitely definitely not minnesota um i would guess if he gets in before match day this week he will be on the bench next week that would be my guess. Maybe that's not true, but um, like Rodney Redes is still on the bench this week, even though like there are, it's getting, it's going to get tougher and tougher to pick the bench now, right? Because Musa was not on the game day roster because Valencia was back in. And so Valencia comes back in, Hector Jimenez comes back in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, then Rigoni comes in. There's guys, there's going to be guys who have been on match day rosters all season who are not going to be on match day rosters anymore. And so, uh, yeah, like th- that, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Wolf says like, we don't need him right now. I think I would be re- pretty disappointed if he gets in this week and he's not at least on the bench, uh, against LA. But, um, I also wouldn't be surprised if he were on the bench and we didn't see him against LA. It was just,
0: just part of the roster. Yeah. I mean, there'll be guys who've started matches, right. That,
1: won't even be making the game day roster, probably. Yeah. I mean, like if we look at just the one for this week, so like Kip Keller is a guy who already has started matches and isn't making game day rosters consistently. Um, you'd think guys like Rodney Rett maybe Owen Wolf, even a guy who started quite a few games and maybe stopped making these rosters. And that's kind of weird. Uh, it's a good, it's a good weird to have though. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So on Friday, you went out to well, you I know you you went out to the um, the pitch right for the academy Verde and Black the U seventeen match. How was there? You were the only person out there, right? I mean, was there a decent little crowd there, or what was that like?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there was the same crowd of of parents out there, um, a decent crowd of parents. But then, as far as just like, I guess non related fans, there was I don't know twenty to forty okay people kind of spread throughout, but. There's a little gang of uh, like the Ensigns and Colby and like some folks in like LV leadership and Morgo leadership. Uh, Some of those people are out there. And so we were sitting there watching the game. It was a really fun game. So this was an intra-squad scrimmage. It was the the new like graduated U-17 team. So the guys who were U-15s last year have now moved up and are part of the U-17 team. There were a few guys who I believe have aged out of the u17 team that were still there a couple of them were still there and playing in this game but in like mls competition those guys will not be able to play uh in in against other mls teams essentially and i want to kind of circle back on that in a second and talk about what's going to happen with those players but uh the game was a lot of fun um some fun goals going on michael burton scored a banger off of a free kick oh i saw the video of that
0: yeah that looked beautiful
1: Uh, but also one of the highlights was Danny Pereira, who um, who adopted the Austin Pets Alive mascot of the match before he ever even got into the stadium. Danny showed up there with the dog in hand, <laughs> and so all of the Murga chants ended up becoming about the dog and about <laughs> Danny. But Danny uh, Danny Pereira and Owen Wolf were just sitting 10 feet over to the side of us watching the game. And then later on, Michael Hood showed up and sat there and hung out with uh, Michael Hood and then Lincoln Rose, who does the radio broadcast, were sitting there with us. So it was a, a star-studded evening out at Parmer Field. Nice. And the quality of play was pretty good, I assume, uh, You know, beyond the Micah Burton goal? Yeah, it was fun. I, I was really um, interested to see what the younger group looked like next to these guys. That like I've watched a lot of the U-17s at this point, and am familiar with a lot of the players and to see those guys come in, some new players come in and then these younger guys step in and play alongside them. And it's a good group, man. Like to be able to field two full teams with that much quality on it is, is really exciting.
0: That's awesome. And like, so what did you learn about aged out players and what's going to happen to them?
1: So, okay. Talking to, to some folks out there, some parents and some other folks sitting around the, the field there. So MLS Next Pro, Austin is going to have a team starting in 2023. But these players who have aged out of the U-17s, it would be ideal for them to have a place to play in between now and then. So we've got several months in the interim where these guys are essentially without a team. And so what I found out is they're going to go ahead and essentially form this team, at least partially form this team. And those guys are going to be playing in like a semi-pro league either. I can't remember if they said NPSL or UPSL, but one of the like semi-pro amateur leagues still playing against grown men for the most part uh-huh. or like college kids. Uh, but it'll be just a way for them to kind of gel as a team, get some minutes until that MLS next pro season starts in, uh, in the spring of 23 which is not that far away, I realize now. So it does, that's a little bit of a
0: stop that yeah, they have to find. But that's a very interesting thing to to find out.
1: Um, yeah, but when, and once they do start playing with the next pro, like in the next pro league, uh, it sounds like there's going to be like kind of a, a regular schedule similar to what the MLS schedule is going to be. I you know with the Apple TV deal, they kind of said, like, games are almost always going to be on Saturdays. Like, that's going to be how it is. Uh, It sounds like Fridays are, for the most part, going to be the day for the next pro team. And so you could, on a lot of weekends, kind of fill out your whole weekend with with Austin FC matches if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, and you're going to get a really good uh, indication of who's going to be starting or who's going to be on the roster for Saturday by seeing what's going on on Friday, probably too.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, because uh, on Friday, if you see, for example, Kip Keller, is starting for the next pro team then you say okay johan's probably on the bench for for the first team game um which is like insight we we haven't had really but also a great spot for these guys to get minutes whenever uh they're not not going to make the trip with the first team oh say speaking of somebody
0: that we have talked a little bit about that is not getting hardly any minutes with the first team do you see this jared stroud Rumor and is it only in one place? Like I saw like one tweet about it, but it was from a pretty credible source, if I remember right.
1: Yeah, Manuel Vapes, who works for TransferMarkt. Um, and like I I think for the most part he is pretty reliable. The fact that I think he's in St. Louis right now or was in St. Louis this last week uh reporting on them or maybe just doing like a little visit that makes me think that it is credible that somebody there told him that that's the case. It's weird that it's happening so far out um, that they, I guess they'd want to have somewhere to play in the meantime, because St. Louis isn't playing yet, but um, yeah, it's saying that essentially that St. Louis and Austin FC are already in talks for a trade for Jared Stroud in the winter. I, I think that would be a great move for, for all parties involved. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, I've, I've- like Jared Stroud a lot. I don't quite still understand why Rodney's getting the minutes that he's not, except for he, you know, he must not look good in training. And um, for Austin to be able to get anything at all, whatever the trade is, I don't know if even if it's a second round super draft pick or whatever, feels like a really good outcome for Austin. And uh, I mean, he seems like the guy that would be a pretty good minute eater for a brand new expansion team. Like he was for Austin when you needed somebody with a pulse to come in and run
1: fast and maybe cause a little trouble. Yeah. And so Stroud is one of these guys who we don't know what his contract looks like. So he wasn't on the the release list of free agents, but he wouldn't be because he doesn't qualify for free agency yet. He hasn't been in the league for long enough. So he, even if his contract were up at the end of this season, he wouldn't have appeared on that list. So I was honestly kind of expecting for him to only be on a one year contract and Austin essentially just letting him walk at the end of this year. And so if he does have a longer contract and we end up getting some allocation money out of it, like, I think that's great business. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I agree. Um, and that's not, the timing's not too far off, right. As far as just like getting players, I feel like Charlotte, um, made some moves maybe, you know, halfway through, or I guess the, the deal is going to be at the winter, but you know, before the season starts and you know, Austin was bringing prospects
1: in at this point. So it's not, we're
0: not too far off time-wise from
1: 2023, yeah. I mean, like right after that, see the 2020 season ended was when you started seeing Austin bring in a lot of players. Like I think around Christmas time was when uh, we got like five in one day or something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. We ready to jump into the Sporting Kansas City match? Yes. There's a lot to talk about for the Sporting Kansas City match for sure. There definitely is. So in an insane game, Austin FC beat Sporting Kansas City four to three. Uh. This one was nuts. Another comeback, uh, uh, giving up multiple goals in the first several minutes to go down. Like a lot of the same tropes from previous Austin FC games, but this one had a happy ending, which some of the others haven't. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. I, and I would look back because I was, you know, a little. I'll write the opening line sometimes. And so the San Jose one we called wild. I believe the. Uh, dc united a game we called it insane so i was trying to find like a, another way to describe like this repeated <laughs> course of action that keeps happening so i don't remember exactly what we came up with for this one but uh yeah we're running out of ways to describe the way that this team is playing and i think we can get into a little bit later uh josh wolf's answer to chris bill's question about the play the uh throwing the playbook out the window but we, we could probably we
1: could cover that down the road yeah all right so the first goal comes in the 12th minute and I think, and the second one comes in the 23rd minute. I think both of these first two goals, I think you can point the finger at Brad Stuver a little bit. Um, for the first one, Alex Ring fouled Eric Tommy at the top of the box um, for a Kansas City free kick. And I want to put a, a, an asterisk here, a footnote on this saying, I don't know a lot about goalkeeping. And so, if anybody that does know a lot about goalkeeping disagrees with anything I'm about to say, please write in. I would literally, I'd honestly be happy to be corrected about this. But um, I didn't really like how Stuver set the wall up for this free kick. So, it was right at the top of the box. He sets up a wall of five to his right, so covering the right post. But then he has Diego standing like a yard away from the wall. And then another gap with Gallagher standing there and Tommy ends up shooting through one of those gaps and hits it really hard, strikes the ball really hard. It hits Stuver in the chest, but it was hit with such force that he's not able to catch it. It bounces right into Fontas's path as he's running in and he, he taps it in for the goal. I, I don't understand why you give that gap. Like I would say put Diego right up next to the wall there or move him somewhere else but like why give yourself the obstacle to view around and like if he puts it in one way or the other way like you're having to look around Fagundes right. in that moment and I don't really understand why you would do that
0: well I don't have a good answer for you either I know less about gold keep- <laughs> I know less about goalkeeping than you do but
1: uh, another another note here uh, I will very rarely say a bad word about this man but Sebastian Driussi kept Fontas on side. On this play. Oh, that's right. Which is one thing if he's like running and trying to mark a guy and chasing someone and accidentally keeps him on side. Driucci is standing one yard like one step behind the wall, has his hands on his hips and doesn't move the entire sequence. And so if you're just gonna stand there, at least get like set the offside line. And so the whole thing happens. He's standing there. Funtas runs in, and he keeps Funtas on side. So if he's a half step back, staying there with his hands on the hip, the goal doesn't count. Well, that's interesting that you, that you said that because I had, sometimes I write good notes to myself after the game,
0: and sometimes I write bad ones. And my note on this one just says, "Why was everyone standing around?" So clearly, that's what that's
1: what that's been what I was thinking about was Drucci. Yeah, I mean, with other, it happens so fast. I think we did have some guys wide covering, so I'm not sure what happened to them, but. It happened so fast, I don't think you can expect the wall to turn around and make a play on that. Um, but maybe one of the other guys, I didn't I didn't quite notice what the other side was doing. But yeah, maybe someone could have chased that down and at least put some pressure on the shot. Uh, the second one comes in the 23rd minute. Um, Graham UC plays a really nice ball over the top to Espinoza, which was a thing that SKC was looking to do a lot in this game, just playing direct over-the-top balls, trying to use the speed of their forwards to get in behind. And it put a lot of pressure on Austin. Um, It didn't always lead to dangerous moments, but did sometimes, including this moment. So over-the-top to Espinosa, Espinosa brings it down brilliantly, brings his leg up super high, a really nice soft touch to bring it down in front of him, gets a shot off, and Stuver makes a really nice save off of it. But the rebound falls to Agata, he shoots it with his first touch. Cascante is caught, I think, a little bit flat-footed, probably. Maybe yep. didn't react as fast as he should have. And the ball goes right under his foot. And then as Stuver is recovering, trying to cover the near post, he kind of goes down into a slide and tries to kick it and isn't able to get a full extension on his leg, and it just bounces off of his foot and into the goal. I really feel like in this moment, Stuver should have just dived and used his hands, either caught it or punched it wide.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel like he started that dive kinda late. I was I watched it a few times to try to figure out like what was going on. I mean so do you think he misjudged it or do you think it was like a business decision? I mean, he has crashed into the post and injured himself before. Like it's some Do you think there was like he was, was he trying to protect himself from injury by doing it that way, maybe? Because he was like he was right there.
1: I think he just misjudged it. Um I think maybe he didn't realize I don't know. Like, he didn't realize how fast the ball was coming or... Because, like, Agata didn't hit it super hard, but I just think he misjudged it because there were some quotes to the media afterwards. And I think in the... Maybe in one of, like, the post-match videos or something, Stuver essentially said, like, I dug that hole and my teammates helped pull us out of it. And so I think Stuver would agree with me that maybe on both of those goals, he could have done better in one way or another. Um, But, yeah, I, I really... I'm not sure, but I really think he just misjudged it and thought that he was going to get there and couldn't. But if he'd have dived, that he probably could have. Yeah. Well, luckily, so it's not
0: looking good, but we get one back not long after that, just four minutes after the Agata I, goal.
1: I do want. Sorry, I do again. I don't like speaking ill of <laughs> okay. of Driussi or Stuver. I do. I do want to say while we're talking about Stuver that he had some other really great saves in this game. Like pretty much from that point on, he he kept us in the game a couple of times. I think in Agata chance late on um he was essentially one-on-one, nobody in front of him and Stuver saved a shot. So he did contribute to winning this game going on even if he helped us dig that hole early on. Well, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we did mention Agata.
0: It's one of the big differences between the Two, week ago, two weeks ago sporting KC team
1: and this KC team, and he was definitely a huge factor in this game in so many ways. Eric Tommy as well. I think he was yeah. probably the most influential player in this game. Uh, but as you were saying, Austin's first goal comes in the 28th minute. Um, it's an Austin corner. The attempt is, is saved off the line by a defender. I think it, a header hits a defender in the chest. Um, It kind of pinballs around the box, falls out to... Diego, who just kind of like loops it back post. It gets cleared again, falls to Gallagher at the top of the box, and Gallagher strikes it with like kind of the outside of his foot and hits it really hard, but it like curves inside that left post because he hits it with the outside of his foot, but it was really well struck. Pulse camp maybe could have done better, uh, maybe misjudged how hard Gallagher hit it, but he gets a hand on it, but the ball still goes in goes in because of how hard it was hit, but a really nice take from Gallagher there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was, it was good to see what they say on the broadcast, like the former he's finding his, uh, forward days back, you know, now that he's a full-time defender, but that was, it was a strong shot. It was like a guy that had played up front before and scored some goals.
1: Yeah. I, and I, whenever that happened, I leaned over to, to Ashley and was like, I'm glad he scored. He deserves one. Like, (laughs) yeah, he does as well as he's played this year. And like he doesn't get that that rush anymore he deserves to score a goal every once in a while and um so last year against Sporting Kansas City that last game we played against them at home that was John Gallagher's first game at fullback and if you remember in that game Johnny Russell and Kyrie Shelton just beat the crap out of him that whole Yeah game. physically and right yeah, just, like yeah, no, they didn't outplay him, but just like physically, were beating on him the whole game, running into him on on aerial duels and putting shoulders into him when they got a chance. Um, in this game, Gallagher was playing really physically against Russell, and maybe I'm I'm reading into this, but it almost seemed like, like, I don't know, it's like uh, in a movie. He's like, I'm back now, and I'm bigger and stronger this time. <laughs> And it seemed like he was like going after Russell whenever he got a chance. And there'd be times where he'd give a little extra push or duck a shoulder into his chest one, every once in a while. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Listeners tell me if you think I'm, I'm reading into this too much, but I, I really looked like to me that Gallagher was going after him. He did. And he had a
0: really good game. I mean, Russell's going to score the next goal here, but that wasn't necessarily anything. He, you know, it's not Gallagher's fault, but I thought he did a strong job covering a really dangerous player and getting physical yeah. with him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that goal gave us a little bit of hope, but then Austin only registers one more shot for the rest of the half. I think offensively Austin was just moving the ball a little bit too slowly at times. Like whenever we're passing it around the back, like in our buildup, passing it around the back, switching it to the other side. Like the point of that is to catch the defense shifting and creating holes that weren't there before if you do that too slowly, the defense just shifts back and is going to cover those gaps, which is what we saw in almost every game last season, right? That's, that's where, uh, Devin's horseshoe of sadness comes from is just passing in a U shape over and over and never progressing forward. That was kind of happening. Not to the, it wasn't as bad as it was a lot of times last year, but it was part of the reason why I think we weren't getting more dangerous moments. If you just put your foot on the ball, as you're shifting sides, the disadvantage of catching the defense shifting disappears. And so one thing that I would really like to see from uh, Danny Pereira specifically is whenever we, so building up when we get the ball past midfield and are, are not quite like settled in around the the 18 yard box, but kind of like we're just past midfield, the center backs are standing maybe around or just past the the halfway line. I would like to see Danny call for balls in that little middle pocket there more often. There's a lot of times where he was in space and it would have been tight. And like, probably as soon as you play it, people are going to crash on him. But if you play it in whenever there is space there, as they're shifting, again, like as you're shifting sides, you can play that ball there. He can turn. And even if he plays it right back out to the same guy that the fullback was going to play. So, like, let's say Gallagher has it plays it into Danny and Danny plays it straight back out to Diego instead. Like, even though Gallagher could have played it straight to Diego by playing it there first, you create a little bit of disorganization and kind of this unbalanced uh, unbalancedness. I know that's That's a a word. word, That's a word. Yeah. Creating that in the defense and, or even if you play it to him and he plays it straight back to John Gallagher, even that motion shifts the defense a little bit. And so I would like to see that more often. And it kind of looked like maybe this is directions from Wolf. Uh, It very well could be, but it looked like Danny didn't want it in those moments sometimes, which is if that's the case, it's a little disappointing because I want to see Danny go into these games with confidence and really put his stamp on it. And he wasn't always doing that on Saturday. Oh, I think imbalance is the word we were looking for there.
0: Oh, yeah, I, there I, you I go. This. And I, <laughs> I, got, I got this Los Logan supporters section report, and the uh, their note from that part of the match is sad, sad, sad horseshoe vibes. So I think, I think you're on the same there page go. there.
1: Yeah, and another thing we were trying to do was trying to hit long balls again. And I can't remember what game this was last time, maybe against the Galaxy whenever they beat us, but uh, hitting long balls but them being nowhere near any of our attackers. Right. And that was a theme throughout the night as well. And so it helps a little bit just to let the defense know that I will hit this ball. But if you never connect them, then the threat stops being real after a while. And is is that a thing? Like, do we think that we just don't have any players that can hit that ball?
0: Uh, well, we had we on what the last goal we had that ball, I think. Wouldn't you call the ball that... Well, I guess it wasn't from, that long. From was, John
1: Kolmanich? That
0: Kolmanich ball was a pretty long ball.
1: Yeah, it, it's... I think it's a different ball, though. So that was into the box. It was a beautiful cross, and I want to talk about that cross when we get to it. But... But like, it's not from cross deep. Into I guess the you're box, saying, yeah. And then, like, that long diagonal up the wing. Like, the that's like the Burhalter ball, right? It's like the the reason he kept playing inadequate sixes for the national team... For so long was because they could play that ball. You're just talking and about Michael Bradley, right? Michael Bradley and Jackson Ewell. okay, gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but they can play that ball like for all their faults, they play the hell out of that ball. and for like as good of a passer as Cascante is, I don't see him getting that. like Danny doesn't really hit the long one that well. and really the way he plays, like he's not in the position to play it that all that often. Uh, Lima is not going to do it. Gallagher's no. not really going to hit it. Coleman, is probably the best one to do it, but, uh, we'll get into, I, I want to talk about the fullbacks a little bit later on, but you would think we'd had one guy who could find Finley on, on the run there, but it, it seems not,
0: it seems not. And you know, I don't know how much they work on it either. Right. I mean, they've got a very specific way to play and it seems like that the it seems like you need some amount of chemistry to connect on that ball too. And so like, I don't know if they're yeah. putting, up, put, putting up the time in practice to do that. Like, are they bombing balls toward
1: family? Are they doing something else? That's a great point. Cause it did seem like several times it was not like they didn't play the ball because they saw Finley was, was making a run. It was just like, I think maybe I should do this now. And right. like, it, it did seem a little disjointed. So, um, yeah, I, maybe that'll be the kind of the next step in, in Wolf's progression, but who knows? Uh so yeah the next big moment is the penalty. So speaking of Ethan, Ethan Finley, Finley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan Finley brings down Eric Tommy in the box. Um I don't think he needed to leave his feet here. Tommy kind of pushes the ball out in front of him. I think Finley sees it but reacts a little bit too late and lunges out to try to poke it out but uh Tommy is already recovered and kind of protecting the ball at this point. And I, I thought it was a fair call as well. I think that was a, a foul. Yeah, I, I agree completely on that one. Um, what did you think of the ref overall in this game? I've I, heard mixed, I've heard mixed reviews. I, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people upset, but
0: I don't know. I don't think there was, I don't think anything was too agrees. I know people were mad about the, not the handball. That was not a handball, like really mad in the moment. But, um, I feel like. Depending on like the camera angle you saw it at, you know that I can see that not being a handball. Like I don't know what the guy was supposed to do with his arm, other than stand there like with his hands behind his back. His arm was out, and he was taking it back, you know, on the handball. But I didn't have a, hu- I did not have a huge problem with it. I guess the biggest call I had a problem with was like Drew see, catching the elbow to the face, and nothing
1: coming out of that. Even that one, I don't have a huge. Pro- I don't. I don't feel like Zussi swung an elbow. I think. He was jumping and your arms kind of do weird stuff when you're jumping. I didn't, I didn't see that as a, like a malicious action. Um, I, I actually quite liked the way that this ref kind of, as far as like game management goes, like kind of the, you hear guys, hear people criticize refs for giving too many cards or not giving enough cards or calling fouls um, like inconsistently as far as like the, the degree of like, where's the line of what's a foul. I feel like early on he called a couple of soft ones and then saw guys going down a little bit too easy a few times and made a point to like wave off some borderline ones to say like no 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 we're not doing this tonight. Like we're going to we're going to play play soccer tonight. And so I liked that he did that and was able to kind of shift the tone of the game in a certain moment. I feel like because of that he missed some foul calls. There's a one that he he waved Drewcy up like told him essentially said like, Drew, just dived here. I'm not giving you this when the reality was somebody kicked him in the leg and he fell down at the top of the box. Um, but I'd, ra- I'd almost rather it swing that way where you're missing a few fouls as opposed to giving nitpicky ones so all the time, especially the red- when Kansas city was, was looking for him in a lot of moments. And he made it clear like, no, we're not getting away with this tonight.
0: Yeah, and I was relieved uh, that the um, Gabrielson's push on Shallowy was only a yellow too, and
1: in another way, that he was yes. like letting things play, because <laughs> that could I have easily been a red. It could have. I think uh, like a certain ref maybe gives a red there. I think that was like that was justice though, right? Like that was fair. It was because Shallowy was going after Drucci. Gabrielson is a player there holding a guy back. And Shally was doing that thing. Like I'm going to go get this guy, but really I know you're going to hold me. So I'm just going to keep leaning into you. And Gabrielson's like, no, 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 I'm not playing this game and just <laughs> picks him up and puts him on the ground essentially. And so like he got the yellow fair enough, but I think you could have given him a red, but I think that would have been against the spirit of, of what that moment was. Um, so yeah, Johnny Russell takes the penalty, uh, puts it past Stuver, and then goes over to the supporter section and kind of taunts the supporter section a little bit. And I was very happy to see videos going on after the game of of them giving it back to him as he left the field and <laughs> after the game as he was going back into the locker room.
0: Yeah, I was really happy to see <laughs> them yelling back at him and then also nobody that I know of like threw anything. It was not no, a Ferrari and Houston thing. Like It was just a... Fans being fans, did you did you catch the uh, the little the bit on the psychology of those kicks? Because we talked about the, that what a couple of weeks ago, right? On how much of like defending penalties is math versus guessing versus whatever. And I think I think it was on the broadcast they talked about um, Stuver thinking talking about how Russell always went left, and that's
1: what he guessed, and Russell didn't. That's on this right. One. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he said shallow. always goes one way. Russell always goes the other way. He, I think he told Healy that in the, like their pregame interviews, but uh, yeah, I like that, that whole reverse psychology of like, I know, you know, I always go left. And so this time I'm going like, I don't know. There's this whole game to it all, but uh, guess wrong. And going back to him taunting the stands, it seemed like, so Pete Reed was, I saw him post a video of, of, uh, (laughs) Of interactions between Russell and and fans after the game, and seemed like I, I have a lot of time for Russell. I quite like Johnny Russell. Uh, he pissed me off in that moment, but it was good to see. Like after the game, he's like, "Yeah, I know, I deserved it. We're all having fun here," and I, I like to see that reaction. Like it's not personal. We're just we're just playing soccer. So after that, was there any? That was that was it for the first half, right? Basically, I think we got one more shot, and I don't even remember. What it, it was. Drew you see, had a chance, uh, one minute into stoppage time in the first half. I don't really remember the shot, but it was 2% on the XG model. So maybe it wasn't a great one. Anyway, not a lot of dangerous moments, uh, for the rest of the first half for Austin, we go into halftime. I'm not feeling great about things at this moment. Like I felt pretty good at 2-1, but 3-1 kind of took the wind out of the stadium sales again at that point. Um, Austin came back out looking like a a different team at halftime, though. No subs by either team, but Austin was just more aggressive after that point. And so uh, when did the subs come on? So it's uh, Caruso
0: and Houston were at 58 in 59 but basically that was the first set of subs. So,
1: so I was happy to see like early action there. Like offense isn't working, let's change it. Like I was happy to see that from Wolf. Um a little bit surprised. I could see that it was Caruso and Husson coming on. I was a little bit surprised by who Wolf took off in that moment. Yeah, so it was
0: Pereira and Aruti. So do you want to talk about the kind of where everybody went because it's obviously
1: moves pieces around on the chessboard there tactically. Um, yeah. So you you heard um Josh Wolf said, told the media after the game that he had told his guys at halftime, like, give me everything you got. Like I've got subs ready to come on. So leave like come out first half. Give me everything you got. If you're done, I'll pull you out. and We've got somebody ready to go. And I think we saw that from Maxi Ruti. Not not just in the second half, but the whole game. He was busting his a- the whole game. And so I like to see that kind of that planning of you know maxi will will work until he can't anymore as soon as that moment comes get somebody else on and it will still be worth that effort of wearing down a defense or winning balls back or whatever it is to bring on another guy with fresh legs earlier than you maybe wanted to and and Um, but i was gonna say that guy now is danny houston obviously more often than not and the
0: beauty of it is he's converting on those things like right the promise of Maxi running around for 60 minutes and coming out is that like, you could take advantage of a tired defense and Houston's managed to do that now three times this year.
1: Yeah. Um, so the other sub was Caruso for Pereira. And so what that ended up doing is we moved Diego Fagundes centrally. So he was playing as one of those dual tens. Alex ring drops back to the six and Caruso goes to the left wing. Um, I really liked Diego playing in that space and I thought he was really good um, did a really good job in that space. And so I like like having more wingers, not only gives us depth on the wing, but gives us depth in midfield as well, because you can shift Diego over and play in that spot, which is arguably a more natural spot for him to play. We just have some of our other best players on the team also play in that spot. But as far as rotating guys around, bringing not just your best starting 11, but your best, uh, your best set of subs on and like keeping your best 11 on the field. This gives us a lot of flexibility and Diego did really well there. Uh, I thought Caroso was uh, a little bit disappointing, maybe to be expected for a guy who hasn't really played any minutes, but had some heavy touches, um, played himself out of bounds one time. He did. Yes. And so I think movement wise, uh, as far as like understanding where to go and his, um, yeah, just like aggressive movements and knowing where to move. I thought he looked good. But as far as what he did when he got the ball, a little bit disappointing. But I think maybe with some minutes, he'll get there. Yeah. So the first. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say it's like we're comparing Ruddy Redis too at this point. So um, <laughs> yeah. at least like being being a smart player, you know, and and, t- and moving guys around and taking people off the ball, even if you don't do anything when you have it, it's advantageous at this point in the club.
1: Yeah. Um, so Danny, Housen, we said Danny Houston comes on. He's involved in Austin's second and third goals. Um, so in the 63rd minute, Houston had just come on. Austin gets a corner. And on the broadcast, Michael Hood is saying, like, Danny Houston's size could be really valuable in situations like this. And right after he says that, play a, uh, the corner in. I think it gets bounced up in the air, but then Houston kind of fights Ben Sweat off. Uh, to keep the play alive, passes it to Giussi. He hits a really hard cross towards the far post. It gets deflected, pops up, and Cascante reacts really well to hit it back across goal and in. And so um, not directly related, but Husin kind of physically fighting Ben Sweat off the ball there does keep that play alive. Uh, after that one, it, like, it really felt like the third one was going to come eventually, didn't it?
0: Yeah, totally. That's I was talking to the uh, Greg, who... who- Went to the game with Jackson and I, um, and like I was like, if we can just get a goal before like sixty-five, then everything is going to be okay because we've seen this team do that do that so many times. So we really seemed on the front foot uh, after that moment. Like the subs seemed to really generate, you know, add new life, um, into the attack. And I don't know. From there on, I felt like we were going to at least draw, and hopefully, we were going to pull out the victory.
1: Um, so it was it was really good to see. Yeah. So Austin really kind of started to stretch their legs at that moment. So Kansas city started to sit back a little bit thinking like, okay, let's defend this lead. And Austin started really getting on the front foot. And it's like that moment that like, why can't like, how do we recreate that moment at the beginning of the game? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, Oh, we almost need the other team to be, to kind of like be resting on their laurels a little bit and like defending a lead but they're not defending the lead when it's 0-0. Zero, zero. And so like that I think that's the key to this team is like how do we recreate or like bend the game to what we want it to be when it we're not down two goals. So do you want to get into Chris Bills question
0: to Josh Wolf about throwing out the script and Josh Wolf's answer now?
1: Yeah, let's maybe take a break and we'll come back okay. and talk about it after okay. that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Hang tight. We'll be back with more Moon Tower Soccer. There's no home game this weekend, but for the next one the following weekend, we'll be doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. To enter, go to moontowersoccer.com and click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the show notes to fill out the form again this is made possible by
0: sage wilson property group so if you or someone you know are in need of sage real estate advice in austin you should talk to our friends at sage wilson property group and landon and i went to lunch with eric wilson from sage wilson property group last week and got some sage real estate advice that guy clearly knows what he's doing (laughs) and what he's talking about i was amazed by like
1: everything that was in his head about real estate it's for when we buy um Moon Tower Soccer headquarters. We're going to buy a, a skyscraper downtown.
0: Yeah, it was going to be great.
1: Eric's going to hook us up. <laughs> Moon Tower Soccer is also brought to you by FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF
0: is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education.
1: You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. And we're back and we
0: tease this a little bit, but uh Landon. Is there a script and do we throw it out the window whenever Austin goes <laughs> behind? This is a question that Chris Bill's asked Josh Wolf, and Josh Wolf had a pretty strong reaction to that in the post-game press conference.
1: So yeah, this is not the first time this has happened in a press conference. <laughs> and I think it's like equal parts. Um Wolf being a little bit defensive about certain things and then misunderstanding the question that was trying to be asked. But uh C- Chris Bills said this and uh I think he's right that like even though like Wolf got kind of defensive and called him out a little bit that this was an excellent answer from Wolf and saying that like he said we don't throw the plan out the window. The plan is exactly what we go back to and that's why this team performs. If you look at the games that we've come back, you're going to see real clear blueprint each and every time. I think he's right. And Chris Bills wrote in the story that, like, if you look back at when Austin FC comes back, it's not because they changed what they want to play. The goals generally come from what Wolf wants to do. It's moving the ball, disorganizing the opponent. It's maybe pushing guys a little bit higher, pushing the fullbacks a little higher. Maybe Dreusi and Ring get a little bit higher. It's slight adjustments to the system, but it's not changing the system. And so Although I don't know that's the question that Chris was actually asking, but um, it gives insight into how Wolf thinks about this, and I, I think he's right that they haven't really veered away from that original plan or like the original philosophy of it all.
0: Yeah, I think philosophically it's all the same, but I mean there are, there are changes that are made, right? And it's things like moving. It usually comes with the subs, and it usually comes with moving like subs coming in, and then a little bit like moving people around. Like we were just talking about, like Diego going centrally and Curioso going to the wing. And I feel like that is the common element is that with the substitutions patterns change, like the, where, where people are and sort of people's responsibilities um, also seem to shift too. And I guess if that's the case, then why don't, why don't we do that from the start? Which I guess goes back to a question you asked before the break.
1: Yeah. And like, I, it's, I think the alternative, you, I think there are changes, but the alternative would be something like, putting two strikers on changing to a back three and pushing wing back super. Like those would be pretty drastic sure. shifts to make. And we're not seeing that it, it is slight tweaks to the system. We already see. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like it, like bringing it out from the beginning. And that's something that Alex ring said in, uh, told Chris bills after the game, he said, we should start from the first minute, not from the 46th minute. But it seems that when the, our back is against the wall. That's when we really have the courage to do, to do the things and the discipline to do the things that we need to do. And so having that courage, like maybe that's the key is like, I, we heard Alex String, I can't remember what game that was, but he said something about like fear is not a word we understand today. Maybe that's kind of the mentality that Austin needs to come out with in some games is to just, and like, it's a balance, right? Like, you want to go out confident, but don't leave yourself exposed in the second minute because that's another thing that Austin is prone to doing is giving up goals early. So uh, it's a hard balance to strike. It is. And it's, it's this is Chris pointed this out too, um, on,
0: uh, and another part, like the way that they get behind is like unique and different every time. Like it's not, it's not somebody jumping. This has happened before, but it's not always like somebody jumping on the first ball out of the back every time, like, and turning it over. If it's not, Julio Cascante and Ruben Gabriels are making like individual mistakes. Like the, the, the ways that we get behind seem to be sprinkled all about. And there's not, doesn't seem like to be a huge pattern to it, which makes it a little bit hard to correct too. But
1: like the way, right. The way we come back, it seems to be consistent. Yeah. And like, it's, it, it does seem to be just like various individual errors, which is encouraging that like, okay, maybe the whole system isn't broke. We don't, need to overhaul the whole thing. But like you said, like, how do you fix it? How do you fix a million different errors?
0: Yeah. We talked about like on this one, you know, Brad Steuber probably would contributed more to us getting behind on to, uh, on Saturday than
1: he ever has before. Yeah. But he is also at the same time, one of the best keepers in the league. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's it's strange that that this keeps happening. And I guess we should just be
0: as Adrian told us sort of just enjoy the ride, you know, and be happy about, about the results so far because they keep finding a way. Um, but I was talking with somebody, I was talking with, um, Zach Fogelman, FEF law, Josh's brother, who was also one of the people who showed up with a random beer, like out of nowhere during the game. It's like, I, and we were both like, we could go for a little bit of a Cincinnati Miami style, like get ahead of somebody and crush them and like, keep the foot on the gas. um, Every
1: once in a while, and not always
0: this like dramatic come from behind thing.
1: Yeah. So, this is something I wanted to bring up last week and kind of forgot, but I think it was it. What was that stat that the Austin FC comms Twitter account posts? I think Julio Cascante has contributed to more goals than any other center back in the league. Is that what it was? I think it's, yeah, that's what it was. So, I think this is a key, um, just like a good example of. Of the complicated thing that Julio Cascante is, and also a look into how Josh Wolf thinks of his defenders. So Cascante is prone to errors, like individual errors. He makes them not all the time, but on a fairly regular basis. But if you look at his goal contributions and how him and Gabrielson play with the ball, I think you understand why Josh Wolf brought this guy in and why he's okay with it because he thinks of these guys as attackers first. And so Julio is very good on the ball. And I think Josh Wolf says, okay, if he gives up a goal every once in a while, it's worth it because of what he gives to our offense. And so that's one of those moments. It's like, okay, maybe we put in or like go out shopping for a more defensive minded center back, a more defensive sturdy center back. If you get one of those that can play with the ball the way Julio Cascante does, they might be playing in the Premier League. Like, yeah. that's, that's the guy you're looking for. And it's, it's hard to find or afford or to keep around in MLS.
0: And I would say that if for people, for fans that are looking for like a, a move in the offseason to shore up like the back line defensively, like, I just don't think that's going to happen because I don't think it's what Josh prioritizes. You know, he even even the point remember when we when we interviewed Brad Stuver and we thought we were interviewing the backup goalkeeper in February of last year. He talked about like the keeper's first role being like the person who starts the offense going. If you want if you want to have a like a real
1: bold summary of the way the system works. Yeah, and he said in a in a press conference a while back that like double switch at the fullbacks when we're losing. And Josh was like, no, no, that's this is an offensive substitution. And like that's how he thinks of it. And so, yeah, I like. I don't know that he won't necessarily won't be shopping for, uh, for better defenders. But you can guarantee that if he does bring in a defender, he believes that that defender is going to contribute to the offense.
0: That's probably that's a better way to phrase it. But I
1: just like to think that
0: he's gonna bring in stoppers anywhere, and that's gonna be their primary yeah. function. Like I just don't think that's gonna ca-
1: happen. Yeah, I I think that's one hundred percent true. All right, um, getting back into the game, so. Where are we at? We are getting to Houston's so goal, yep. correct? So we're down two three for the for those, including us, for those
0: of us getting back into the actual game action. <laughs> we're down two three. Uh, Felipe and Johan Romanya come on at the eighty fifth minute. Well, okay, we can go. Do you want to go back to the Nick Lima, Sean Coleman at substitution or? Um, let's talk about it after. We'll, we'll, we'll save words. it for an important moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. There's a long throw from the right, as we see Nick Lima take a lot. He's he's really good at those long throws. And so we take advantage of that whenever we get a chance. Everybody's in the box. Uh, we throw it in, gets headed clear. Felipe is the deepest man. His first touch of the game is to loop a ball back over the top end of the box. Um Drew, see, is running into the box and Hoosin is also running in the box. And they both, I think Husin barely gets kept on side, but he watches the ball over his head and turns on it and just slaps it into like off of the, off of the post and into the goal. And this was an amazingly well taken goal. And I think one of the better goals that we've seen at Q2 stadium, but I, I love this goal. This is my favorite one of the night for sure.
0: Yeah, it was the best. It was my favorite one of the night for sure too. It was, it was just so well played by Danny Houston. So he scored. What does he say? come on in relief? We've been behind. On all, all three of his goals, he has been like he's come in as a substitute. We've been behind, and I think we've won twice and drew once after that. So, if you want to talk about a guy whose goals make a difference in, in the outcome of a game, like it's Danny Hooson
1: this year. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but after the goal, everyone's celebrating, but we're still just tied here, right? So it's 3 3. So they don't spend a ton of time celebrating. Everybody's getting back. The camera cuts to. Drew, going up to Husson and I don't, maybe I'm misreading this, but it almost looks like he's telling him like that ball was for me. I didn't see that. <laughs> and I don't like, I would, I would love to know what he was saying, but if you watch the play back, the, the better and like higher percentage chance would have been for Husson to leave it. And for Drew, cause Drew, Dri- was facing goal and was running onto the ball and could have just tapped it past the keeper. Uh, I don't think Hussein even knew he was there, and so he took his chance when he saw it. But um, I, like, maybe, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but it really looked like Trusi was telling him, like, "Hey, next time, leave that one. That was mine."
0: Yeah. So then we get, um, not long after that, Agata goes down for the fourth time or something. Except this time, it was for real, right?
1: Yeah. So I, in the moment, I was positive he was faking it to waste time because he had done that. Like you said, like there was one moment he fell down at the top of his own box. The ball came to him. He stands up, plays it, and then falls down again. Uh, He does it earlier in the game over on the sideline goes down. And then just before he gets injured, they're taking their free kick after the goal. And he gets booked for not taking the free kick fast enough. Or not, sorry, the, like the, the kickoff fast enough. And so like, if he was injured that's terrible like i'm i hate that like austin fans were booing an injured man and that austin fc just kept playing but at the same time i would have done the same thing and kept playing if this is the same guy that's gone down four different times and is clearly trying to slow the game down and waste time i would have kept playing too like i i don't fault the players at all for that and the like the rich thing about this is kansas city was all upset about it they actually got the ball back in that moment. Like maybe it was the time before when he went down, but it was, it was the time before when he went down and was laying down for a long time, but Kansas city got the ball back and started counterattacking and we tackled the ball out of bounds. And then they all start complaining that we didn't play the ball out. I was like, you had the ball too and you didn't play it out. So like, I don't know. I like, it's unfortunate if he's really injured and like that was, how he was treated, but he also brought it upon himself by being, uh, the boy who cried wolf a few too many times for sure. And like Michael hood on the broadcast was definitely on the side of,
0: he was the boy who cried wolf. you know, down to sort of like analyzing how much he was rolling around too. So that's relevant though, because after that we ended up getting 10 minutes of extra time,
1: which I think game. is justified. I uh, s- yeah, I agree. Agata was on, I went back and counted. It was almost exactly four minutes from when he goes down to when he leaves the field and play starts, it's exactly four minutes. And so there's already hydration break. There's two goals that have gone in. And so for there to be any less than six minutes would have been a crime. And so I was sitting there ready to be furious and ready for my blood to start boiling when they give us four minutes of extra time. And it comes up 10 at first, it it feels a little excessive, but when you think back to all of the stoppages, I think that is maybe a slightly generous, but probably a fair amount of time. I think at least eight or nine. It should have been. I think it should have been. and, well, and then and then,
0: I was wishing it had been six or seven or eight or something. Shortly, yeah. <laughs> shortly after that,
1: I was like, "Ten's yeah. ten's great. It's perfect. That's what we need." Yeah. So we end up scoring ninety plus four. But I was thinking about that too. Does Austin? Maybe Austin isn't as patient moving the ball around if it is four, and we kind of panic and force things and end up not scoring that goal. But because we're able to kind of take our time a little bit, that that goal does come. And so maybe tin tin was the right thing, even if we did have to see out the last five minutes after the goal.
0: Yeah, maybe so. One, seeing at the last five minutes, I did go back and look. Like the that goal was the last shot of the game, so we didn't. There's not much of a threat uh, after that.
1: Yeah, so uh, the winner, the fourth goal, you know who it has to be. It's Sebastian mm-hmm. Drusi with the winner. So Kolmanich had come on, um, so he comes on for Lima. Kolmanich goes to the left back. Gallagher moves over to right back. And so Kolmanich was still playing. As far as positionally and kind of his role in buildup was playing the game the same way Gallagher was there. But Kolmanich has... Uh, the difference in his game of having a magic wand of a left foot that can play beautiful crosses in pretty much whenever he wants to. And so he plays a couple of really great crosses into the box. One of them eventually finds Finley as he's running on the goal. I don't know if Finley touches it or if it bounces off of Ben sweat, but in any case it's created by Finley making that run, but it, um, but it bounces off of either him or the defender falls back into the box And Hooson's making a run. All the defenders are crashing towards the goal and kind of like the goal last week, the, the C's part around the penalty spot, the ball falls there. And Sebastian drew as always is in the right spot at the right time. Ball falls to him. He kind of has a choice to make, to play one side or the other of the keeper. And you can kind of see him reading. And as the defenders move and the keeper sliding, he picks to the right and slots it right in between the defender and, and the goalkeeper. But Like not as easy of a finish as, as it looks kind of like the one last week was as well, but, uh, really well taken and just again, like it, it had to be him like in that moment, like that's his goal. He's going to score that one every time.
0: Yeah. He rips rips the shirt off, gets the yellow and you're like, that is totally fine. Like you've just, you've,
1: (laughs) you've earned this Go for it. Yeah. So Austin gets the three points, uh, when I wasn't expecting to get it for most of that game and it's like to a point now where I think we're, are we still nine points ahead of third? Nine points if ahead we of third, yes. Drop I think that one. It's get to a point like we're not in a ton of danger, but drawing or losing another one would have started to feel that way, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you got to get the points you can get um, when you can't. I think from against like Kansas a, City. And especially because, I don't know, if we probably don't have a lot of time to get into this, but the schedule is about to toughen up a lot. It and is. So to have gone through this run of games where there was an opportunity to pick up a lot of points and not do that, and especially not do that at home, I mean, it's not a huge threat that Austin's going to miss the playoffs, but certainly, you, you know, there's a chance of sinking down the
1: table. Okay, so when I talked said I was going to talk about the fullback. So do we think that... What would what we think about starting with the pairing of Gallagher on the right and Cole Minich on the left.
0: I think it's an interesting pairing. Um, I'd like to see it. I don't, I don't know if it's like the best. I don't know if it's better than what we have now, but we haven't seen it much. And Gallagher seems to do pretty well on both sides. Um, what do you think you... So you're really looking at... Lima versus Kolmanich. like, what are your, their respective strengths? And what do you think you give up? Obviously you can't make long throws. Cause apparently Nick Lima is the only person on the club that can make super long throws for some
1: reason. <laughs> Gallagher is decent at a long throw too. I don't okay, know if he good. throws it as far as Lima, but he, he takes them on the left as well. Um, so I think Lima is, is much stronger defensively. I think Kolmanich is much stronger offensively. And so it really is like, there's not a lot of compromise in between there. You're you're going all in on one thing or all in on another thing, in making that call. And I think the same is true with uh, with Gallagher and Coleminic on the left. Gallagher is much more solid defensively. I think he's really good in the build up. I think as far as just like short passes, keep the ball moving, take a touch around a defender. Gallagher's actually really good at those things. And so as far as just keeping the ball and building momentum and pushing the ball up the field, he's good in those moments. I think better than Coleman is actually, but on that final ball, we're talking about playing that ball over the top to, to Finley, making a run on the backside, Kolmanich can hit that ball. And like that, that's another threat that you bring in. He plays beautiful crosses into the box, but he, the last few times he's played long minutes in a game, he has contributed to a goal against us. And so that scares me, like maybe he's making progress in, in training, but, um, I don't know, it, it it would worry me defensively to have Coleman on the field for any long amount of time. So it's, I, it's the same as many positions, Danny progresses the ball from deep better than anybody on the team, but is not a great, not great as a defensive midfielder. Uh Ring doesn't progress the ball as well as Danny does, is but is better defensively. But he also does well when he's closer to goal. And so there's all these little compromises that you make. And like it's a hard puzzle to put together. And I think sometimes it's just like go with the hot hand, go with what's kind of been working, but I don't I don't think there is a right answer. I think there's give and take with all of it. Yeah, and I think
0: you're right. I think it's a puzzle, too. I mean, I think you have to look at how all those decisions all affect other ones, you know, what the, who the fullbacks are make a difference in what the midfield looks like, you know, and vice versa. And so I think that's, I think Josh has done a really good job so far of putting those pieces together. And then also not generally overworking anybody. Right. I mean, like people are getting minutes, like nobody's, you know, I feel like we were just killing people last year because there was not enough depth, you know, everybody was having to run at every game and I feel like everybody's pretty fresh, um, which is a nice change for sure. From last season. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, all right. Anything else about the Kansas City game? Or are we good to move on to some no. listener questions? Let's go into some listener
0: questions. We haven't done these in a while. These are usually fun. They're these are from um, from Patreon, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, these are all uh, the the captain level Patreon members. And so, if you are a captain level Patreon member, you can force us to answer one of your questions per month, and we'll answer it on the show. And it can be about soccer, or it can be something stupid and silly. Which we're going to get into both of those, right? (laughs) All right, let's jump into the first one. This is from Robert Miller. He says, if both teams continue their current run of form, do you think the match versus LAFC will decide the supporters' shield race? No. I would love it
0: to, but I feel like the match versus LAFC of awesome wins will give us some glimmer of hope that LAFC may falter And Austin could get a shot at the supporter shield and still have to play great from here on out. But down six points with LA with one game at hand. So even if we I mean what is that? That gets us within three, but they still have a game at hand? Is that is that what it would be?
1: Uh yeah, I believe so. Yeah.
0: So I mean it's it it keeps Austin within striking distance, but I don't think that it's gonna be a supporter
1: shield decider. Yeah, if if we win, there's a chance, and if we lose, there's probably not a chance. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, All right. Next one is from Nicole Blair. She says, do you think it could have, do you think it could have an adverse effect to boo the opposing team when they enter the field? seems there's more potential to embolden them rather than discourage them. Perhaps it would be be better to ignore them altogether. This is kind of an interesting one. It is. um, I don't know that sports fans are like known for being the most
0: strategic and thoughtful of, uh, of people when it comes to this, but I feel like it's the thing that everybody does. So I think everybody's prepared for it so i don't know that it necessarily has an adverse effect because everywhere every team
1: goes they get this exact same reception it seems like a guy like johnny russell for example loves it like he wants you to boo him that's true (laughs) and so i could see there like yeah maybe it would be a better idea to not get him amped up for a game but at the same time it's a lot of fun to boo the other team and i don't <laughs> yes. think you're going to get that su- that south end to not do that.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. You, you, yeah, that behavior is not going to change. Um, you, uh, think, uh, you mean to go to the next one
1: here? Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay, Alex Rubio, do you think Josh Wolf will be the coach of the year? If so, why or why not? If not, if not, who do you think will be the coach of the year?
1: I mean, it's it's not crazy to think that he could win coach of the year. So, i looked up uh com, and they had their writers and contributors do mid-season voting. And so they had Wilfred Nancy picked as their coach of the year. That was when Montreal was flying high. They've had a little bit of a dip. They're still like could end up quite high in the table and do well. Um, if that's the case, Nancy is a good shout. Uh, they had Mastroini any second on their list from RSL. If they end up, second or third in the west maybe he's a good shout um nico estevez was also in here i think that one's probably done with fc dallas with their dip in form the next one i think is probably the man to beat though uh at fourth they had steve trundle at lafc i think if lafc breaks the points record or gets close to it it's going to be hard not to give that first year coach the coach of the year award right
0: yeah i agree first year's first year's head coach anywhere first year coach the there were questions going in to the season about how he would do and, you know, how he would adapt to a team that was kind of already um, built, but he's, he would seem to be the favorite for me.
1: Yeah. I I think if Josh Wolf, sorry, if Austin FC ends, I would say even top three or four in the West Wolf is in the conversation, but uh, probably not the favorite still. All right. uh, Next one is again from Nicole Blair. She says, does Wolf overvalue integration into his system? For example, when he didn't use Caruso when we needed a goal against San Jose. Yes. Wait, Yes. Yeah.
0: do we need more than a yes or no answer? <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I think because of what his system is, so I don't know if he overvalues integration to his system, that's it's very important to him, and I think it's because his system is relatively complicated. He, he highly
1: values his system. Yes, <laughs> yes. And whether or not that's too much is debatable, but the system is everything to him, right? You saw that in like the reason he got defensive when Chris Bills asked him the question that he thought he asked him is because he's like, no, 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 this is, this is something I do not compromise on. This is the thing I believe in more than anything else in the world that this when executed properly is the right way to do it. And so if he doesn't believe a guy's going to come in and do that, to the level that he expects or needs, then he's not going to play him. And so, I think a lot of us will disagree with that in certain moments. But that's what he believes, and so it's—I don't know—I I don't think you can fault him too much, even if you disagree with him. I think you have to respect that a little bit.
0: Yep. All right, our next one is uh, ATX Bird Camp Lover sixty nine sixty nine four twenty favorite user. If you were to choose, I don't know. I, Maybe this. Maybe this is not. Maybe you're not the best person to answer this question at first. I don't know what your history of pro wrestling fandom is. I have a long and storied one. But if you were to choose a partner for a WWE-style tag team event, would you rather team up with a Felipe-sized Stuver or a Stuver-sized Felipe?
1: This one seems pretty easy, right? So, okay. So I do not watch a lot of wrestling, but there's a guy named Pete Donaldson who um, I learned. P- most of my initial soccer knowledge from two soccer podcasts, one of which was a total soccer show, which I've talked about on this show a lot. The other was a show called The Football Ramble, which is an English show. They got into soccer podcasting like before people were really doing that. And there's kind of like their like jokester on the show is a guy named Pete Donaldson. And I really liked him. And he did a wrestling podcast with one of his friends. And he was kind of the straight man that didn't know anything about wrestling. And the other guy would just like tell him like wrestling history stories. And so even though I've not watched much wrestling, I actually know a lot about wrestling from listening to that podcast. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So what's your answer here then? Why you think it's obvious? I I think you go with Felipe, sorry, a Stuver sized Felipe. Because I think you pick, if you're going to, if it's a straight pick Stuver or Felipe, Stuver's advantage is the size, and Felipe's advantage is kind of like the stockiness and the fight. But if you can get the size and the fight, I think that's a no-brainer.
0: So I, so I've been thinking about this. I want to disagree, and that's okay. like from my, from my knowledge of WWE storylines. I feel like Felipe is the kind of guy that will be the guy that like, you know, pins the like, does his big finishing move, has his opponent laid out flat, and then decides to like climb up on the top rope and mug for the audience. <laughs> a little bit. And in that moment, he will all of a sudden turn around and snitch to de- snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because he's just a little bit too much of a showman. Whereas I feel like, uh, like Stuver
1: could be kind of an, um, just an immovable force, regardless of size and a tactician. Right. Stuver's wearing just like plain black trunks and Felipe's got a luchador mask on. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like he could get, <laughs> he could get arrogant and that might be, uh, that might be his downfall. <laughs> Alright, uh next one is Sean Collins. Could Austin FC beat any teams in the Premier League? Um Ever? I would say like if they played a lot of teams in the Premier League a lot of times, they would win some of the games. But usually I would say no. Most MLS teams will rarely beat any Premier League teams. Even even the worst Premier League teams, right. No, I would I don't I, I would agree with that for sure. Um I think if you look at kind of where MLS sits, I think good MLS teams could probably compete in the championships, like one level down from the Premier League. But in the Premier League, I think any MLS team is getting relegated. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just too much money. Yeah, you look at like top end talent, but again, we've talked about this a lot. Like MLS rosters are top heavy. You get into the defending and kind of the defenders you can afford in MLS. And I think. It gets picked apart pretty quickly.
0: Um, how about this one? This is from Elise. What teams are similar to Austin FC in other leagues, either playing style or attitude or what have you? is a new fan of soccer, because of Austin FC trying to get into other leagues and starting last year with Chelsea, which seems like a mistake, and she's got a long apo- she got a little, little bit of an apology for that. <laughs> but we we talked about this a little bit beforehand, and I think you have a pretty solid answer um, for the for the stuff for the playing style and kind of where that comes from.
1: Yeah, I I think the short answer is Pep Guardiola. Um, That is anybody doing what Josh Wolf is trying to do, which I think the short name for it would be positional play. Coaches who are trying to play a possession game using positional play, they're looking at Pep Guardiola and what he's doing and have been doing that for probably the last 10 years. This comes from kind of a line of uh, stemming from the Dutch game and which ended up at FC Barcelona. Pep Guardiola played at FC Barcelona, then ended up coaching them and has taken that that principle and that philosophy with him uh at Barcelona, then to Bayern and now at Manchester City. And so it's not exactly the same. They don't play they don't use it exactly the same, but the principles and the philosophy is very much the same. And so if you want to kind of understand a bit more, see a game, uh, see watch a team that kind of thinks about soccer in the same way that what Wolf is trying to do. And I think Pep Guardiola's Manchester city is, is the place to look. And they're I, like, they're kind of like the big bad guys that have too much money. And so I don't want to necessarily cheer for them, but if they're on, I always almost always really enjoy watching them play. Cause it is, it's beautiful. Yeah. And that ties back to uh, Dennis Burkamp to go all the way
0: back around to another, uh, the question, right? He was the, like, he's a total football guy, correct?
1: I honestly don't know. That's kinda of like before my time. I like I probably couldn't tell you what, what kind of player Dennis Burkamp was. <laughs> yeah, he he was. He was he, yeah, that, that was his, he was a big
0: Ajax guy. That was his that was his thing. So we've gotten back to I don't think we have to get into the 69 nine, four twenty part of that, but we're uh, <laughs> back into the user there. All right. So these Hi. are all the of questions you want to talk about Minnesota United really quickly and then uh, call it a day. Yeah, let's do it. So Minnesota United, currently fourth in the West, unbeaten in the last five matches at home which is probably relevant to this. Um, I thought this was an interesting uh, little factoid. I don't remember where I found this, but Austin FC and Minnesota United have played four times and they've never had a draw. So let's expect... I believe that both teams have won twice and both teams have lost twice. Um, we've seen them once this year, April 10th, at Q2. Austin won one nil on a Maxi Aruti goal in like the 58th minute. That was like pretty... You know, Maxi had won a pretty strong goal run early in the year. This is one of the things that were part of that. Um, and you found this, uh, I guess Matt Doyle did last week or two weeks ago, maybe did this kind of rundown of all 28 teams where in the, where they stood at the half. Um, and he put, uh, Minnesota United in a competitive tier.
1: Yeah. And they, they look like a much different team right now than what they did when we played them first. Uh, Emmanuel Reynoso was like, didn't do a ton against us. He was pretty quiet but he's been on a tear. Like this is one of the guys that I think one of the few players in MLS that is more skillful than Sebastian Giusei. They're different players. Uh, Reynoso is more of a, a chance creator and Giusei is more of a chance finisher. And so on that, that goal to assist ratio Reynoso's assists are always going to be higher, but he is a lot of fun to watch as a neutral, like watch this dude play because he's a lot of fun. But um, Minnesota has been really thin in certain spots all year, but they've kind of plugged some of those holes. They brought in a guy named uh, Longwane, I think his name has been playing on the wing, which is a spot they've been weak at. Robin Ludge, who's usually played on that wing, has been playing central midfield and looked really good there. And then they brought in a fullback named Benitez, which they've had a bunch of injuries and had to play guys at fullback out of position as well. And I watched him play against Nashville the other night. He he looks good. So um, this is a reinforced team from when we last played them and a team that's in really good form. And so uh, it's I, I don't think this is a team we could take lightly and will need to play well to beat. Yeah, um, and you know, they have the all, all-star goalkeeper, Dane St. Clair, too, who has had a a pretty strong pretty strong year so far yeah so we'll need to take our chances when we get them because um yeah he's he's looked really good and has saved a lot of tough shots this season and
0: that's so you went last year but it was still during covid right so that's it wasn't right wasn't yeah. really like okay I'd, it seems like it's a tough play to place to play too because they've got a good fan base um they seem, they seem to be a really good club at home and so that will make the challenge um You know, it'll make it a challenge for Austin. And we mentioned this, but this is kind of the first in a run of not easy games for for Austin FC. Like, it's good that we have nine points in hand on third. um, Because after this, we've got LAFC, Portland, Nashville, Seattle, and Minnesota, our next five. So it's all, you know, we've got a lot of Western Conference foes, and we've got a lot of teams that are either on... On or above the playoff line, you know, so it's going to, it's not getting easier from here on out.
1: Yeah. And even the ones that like are below the playoff line, like, uh, like Seattle, like they're in a rough run of form, but it's, I don't know. It's just one of those teams. Like, you know, that on the night they're, they're the like CONCACAF champions league winners, right? Like you can't count them out and it's not an easy team to beat, even if they're in a bad, bad run right now. So, uh, it is, it is a pretty tough run. Um, but again, I, I think it's all on Austin. Like all of these games, if Austin plays well, doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, they can beat all of these teams and have beat a lot of these teams. So it's I think it's all on them. It's it's in their hands. All right, anything else, Jeremiah?
0: No, let's go ahead. Let's wrap it up.
1: All right, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, come find us on Twitter. I'm at elviahero87. Jeremiah's at underscore ATX. and then we're at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. And I had I got some really good uh, player baby footage the other day after the game. I'm gonna try to post that sometime this oh, week. Oh, nice! Lot lots of good good baby footage on the field after the game. <laughs> uh, and then we already mentioned the Patreon. Go sign up there, get some cool swag, and force us to answer silly questions. Then visit the Striker Texas. Sorry the striker, just the striker where you can get a 30% discount with the code moon tower 22 with the capital M that's moon tower 22 with the capital M Jeremiah. What should folks look out for there this week?
0: This week, uh, the Chris's uh, article, the post game article where he both talked to Josh Wolf about the system and talked to several players, uh, is a really good one. And, uh, you know, again, it just shows the insight the striker gets from having people in the locker room. They can ask the questions of, of players that nobody else gets. It shows the depth of coverage and the value in subscribing to that site.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the Minnesota United match and then preview the Western Conference Showdown with LAFC. We're also going to have a special guest, a bonus guest, you might say, named Andrew Wiebe. And we would love to get your questions. So uh, send us some questions on Twitter. We'll be putting a tweet out sometime. Uh, Send us a DM, however you want to send them to us. But until then, I'm Landon Cottom.
0: I'm Jeremiah Bentley. we
1: will catch you next time. When for nothing. You never.
0: Oh, my God.